Let's start with two illustrations of two kinds of power. Both of these were used by King David. A little guy was sitting in a restaurant eating his meal, minding his own business, when all of a sudden a great big man came in and whack, knocked him off the chair and said, that was a karate chop from Korea. The little guy thought, woo, ow. But he got back on his chair, started eating, minding his own business again. And all of a sudden, whack, the big man knocked him down again. And he said, that was a judo chop from Korea. Whoops, Japan, Japan. The little guy had had enough of that, so he left. He was gone about a half an hour. And he came back. Whack. He knocked the big man down off his chair and out cold. And he said to the people around him who were kind of wondering what was going on, he said, when he comes to, tell him that was a crowbar from Sears. (laughs) That's one kind of power. Here's another kind. A strong young man at a construction site was bragging that he could outdo anyone in a feat of strength. He made a special case of making fun of one of the older workmen. After several minutes of this, the older worker had had enough. Why don't you put your money where your mouth is, he said to the younger guy. I'll bet a week's wages that I can haul something in a wheelbarrow over to that outbuilding that you won't be able to wheel back. You're on, old man, said the braggart. Let's see what you've got. The old man reached out and grabbed the wheelbarrow by the handles, and then nodding to the young man, he said, All right, get in. (laughs) That's another kind of power. David used both. He used strength in battle, and he used wisdom. And today... Because, well, I'll get to that in a minute. Today's passage completes the scripture narrative of David's rise to the kingship over Judah and Israel. And we're talking in the 10th century before Christ. Midway through the book of 1 Samuel, today we're in 2 Samuel, but midway through 1 Samuel, we saw the prophet Samuel anointing or setting apart the shepherd boy, to become king one day. The years pass and David earns his place as ruler over the southern kingdom. Now the Bible tells us that there were 12 sons of Jacob and that they had therefore 12 tribes that lived in Egypt for a while. Now all of them have migrated to the promised land, Canaan, and they have split between ten tribes in the northern kingdom and two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, in the southern kingdom. Now they're trying something different, a reunification of the northern and southern kingdom. So David is from the south, and he's been king over Judah for about seven and a half years, while 
one of the sons of the late King Saul was ruler over the northern kingdom. Now this guy has died. And so the elders in Israel, the north, come down south to, to meet up with David and say to him, attributing their statement to God, The Lord said to you, David, it is you who shall shepherd my people Israel. Shepherd boy to shepherd king. So David makes a covenant with them before the Lord. He doesn't say no when he's invited to this new place of power because he knows that God has set him apart for this. Lucky David. Because I think this is a search that all of us are involved in at some point. For what has God set us apart? Individualize it. For You say this to yourself. For what has God set me apart? What does God want us to do and be? We find it easy to ask high schoolers and college kids what their major is going to be. What they plan to do with their lives. What's much easier to ask others than it is to answer the question for ourselves. What am I going to do with my life? It's not just a question for young folks. We all should be asking ourselves this really again and again. For what good works did God create me? What am I going to do with my gifts, no matter what, what your age. With some gifts we receive, the answer is obvious, some tangible gifts. If someone gives you a gift card to a restaurant, well, it's pretty obvious what you're going to do with that. Men, if someone give you, gives you a necktie, well, it's pretty obvious what you're going to do with that. Now, we used to think we knew what to do with pierced earrings. <clears throat> but the younger generations have colored outside the lines as far as that goes. They decorate much more than ears these days. But like earrings, gifts given by God have many more options than we first imagined. It, instead of getting a gift card to a restaurant, it's more like getting a gift card to Valley View Mall. You know, you take it in there and there are however many dozens of stores that you can go in and choose something, anything. Now, we might be likely to go in and get something that we normally get, a polo shirt or a certain brand of socks. But with a gift card, it's kind of like it's not your money. And you might be able to splurge a little bit. You might be able to think outside the box. Some people seem extra gifted to be able to not only think creatively, but to follow through with completing their creation. Think about jet travel and space travel. Somebody had to imagine that as a possibility first. I wish I could remember the quote exactly, but Werner von Braun said something like, He's very cautious about using the word impossible. 
Think about computers and the internet. Through my husband, I have learned about a new technology available. It works like this. I can record my favorite television movie, not onto a VCR or a CD, but onto my hard drive of my computer. And as long as my computer at home is running and the resort of my dreams has wireless internet capability, which it would, I can choose to watch the movie on my laptop while sitting beside the pool in Cancun or Paris or Auckland. I, I was amazed. Maybe you had already thought of that. I don't know. But think about what if these inventors had not used their gifts and abilities. What if they had had a passing idea but didn't want to take on the work and responsibility to make something magical come about? Life today would be completely different. Banking, correspondence, travel. Could you imagine life without computers now? Even if you don't have one, you hear about them all the time. Whether they recognized it or not, these inventors used the power of God, the creative power of God, to create something new. It's when each of us takes the unique mixture of gifts that God has given to us and commits to using them for God that we begin to understand the answer to that question, what am I going to do with my life? For what has God set me aside? King David uses his gifts in radical ways. In his younger years, when David was planning to battle the giant Goliath, he tried on King Saul's personal armor to help defend himself against Goliath, but it was way too big. He couldn't even move in it. Now, I think my first reaction would have been to say, um, let's find someone smaller who has armor that would fit me. It's not what David did. He went armorless with only the protection of God Almighty. In today's passage, he shows us another radical alternative. Now, the lectionary, which is that cycle of readings that we use through the church year, the cycle of scriptural readings, skips over David's politically incorrect capture of Jerusalem. If you want to read verses 6 to 8 and 2 Samuel 5, feel free to do that. But we skipped over it today, but we, what we know is that David went in to capture Jerusalem. Jerusalem was not a part of the northern kingdom or the southern kingdom at that time. It was the last holdout of the Canaanites. And so when David became king of both kingdoms, he knew that if he had chosen either Hebron in the south or the capital in the north, he would offended, have offended the other set of tribes. So this is where he goes for the radical alternative. He took an army, captures, 
captured Jerusalem and made it the capital of both kingdoms. That's why it's called the city of David. It's actually the same idea that our founding fathers used. They designated Washington, D.C. as our new nation's capital. Well, it probably would have made more sense to use one of the other cities where lots of things had been happening already, Boston or Philadelphia or Richmond. But they came up with a radical alternative. So Jerusalem became the city of David. And Mount Zion, as I mentioned before, is one of the hills upon which Jerusalem is built. So Zion becomes an image of power and an image of salvation throughout the Old Testament. Here's an example from Psalm 48. It sings of the beauty and security offered by Jerusalem. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, his holy mountain. Beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. David uses the gifts God gave him. Gifts of wisdom, strategy, and leadership to create a haven for the people who have put their trust and hope in him. He uses his gifts well. About ten of us from the church have been meeting to discuss a chapter a month from Mitch Albom's book, The Five People You Meet in Heaven. The main character in the little novel is Eddie. Eddie is old, though, not like the ones we know. He has spent his life as a maintenance man at the amusement park near his childhood home. And Eddie dies in the beginning of this book. And then the reader discovers what happens after his death as Eddie meets five people, some whom he knew, some he did not, but five people who help him understand certain things about his life that he didn't get while he was living it. One thing Eddie learned, or learns, on his way to heaven, is that he had more choices than he thought. When his father died, Eddie believed that his dream of becoming an engineer somewhere else had died too. So he stayed close to home and continued to work at that same amusement park where his strict father had worked and always had greasy fingers. He had hoped for more, but didn't take the risk to go after it. And it led to a sort of tragic life, the reader learns, one that we perceive could have been more satisfying and meaningful if Eddie had stretched himself a little and taken a few more risks, just realized that he had more options than those that were directly in front of him. 
The reader of the book then is left to wonder, is there something I'm missing? Relating that to today's scripture passage, what am I not doing that God has set me apart to do? Well, I really want us to be more like David than Eddie. For David, it was when he did what God had set him apart to do that he became greater and greater. David's faith and confidence in God led to faith and confidence in himself. Now, as we will learn, a balance between confidence and and humility is important. We'll see in a few weeks that David gets a little too big for his imperial britches, to quote Walter Brueggemann. And so he teaches us to stay alert to our own level of confidence. But here, in today's passage, David is fulfilling his early call to be shepherd over God's people. Now think of other examples in the Bible of shepherds. Does a particular psalm happen to come to mind? 23? Thank you. 23, Psalm 23 invites us to imagine God as our shepherd leading us to nutritious green pastures and to quiet streams to calmly quench our thirst. He leads us through fearful and dark valleys and comforts us as we know that he will be our shepherd forever. Can you think of another shepherd? Like Jesus? In the Gospel of John, Jesus tells us that he is the what? The good shepherd. He is the one who cares for his sheep. He's not the hired hand who will run away at the first sign of trouble and leave the sheep to fend for themselves. He will protect them and nurture them and feed them and even, stretching beyond David, die for them. The shepherd David takes hold of the power of God and uses it to lead God's people. The shepherd Jesus takes hold of God's power and shows us how to die to ourselves so that we might live for God. It's a radical alternative. To love others with full acceptance of their shortcomings and weaknesses... And idiosyncrasies? To love ourselves with that same kind of full love? Shortcomings and weaknesses and our own idiosyncrasies? It's a radical alternative. And it's not the only one. We face radical alternatives all the time. But sometimes we just don't want to see them. David reminds us to look, to watch. Watch for radical alternatives, Christians. Watch for radical alternatives, 
Calvary Baptist Church. The wise power of God within us will help us to do what God calls us to do. Power, we think of sometimes, is a bad word. It's not. Power is a gift from God. As we close, let these words of Mother Teresa of Calcutta ring in our ears. What I can do, you cannot. What you can do, I cannot. But together, we can do something beautiful for God. Let's pray. You give us many different forms of power, O God. We pray for your wisdom to use them wisely. We pray for your courage to use them courageously. And we pray for humility to use your gifts humbly, all for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.